Good morning. So you don't understand, when we're up here, we can't hear you at all back there because it's so quiet. So a little louder. Good morning. I heard you that time. That's good. It's been a great morning so far. I just came back from a, a coffee time with some families that are wanting to know more about the church. It's always fun to do that. And it's great to be back in here with you here this morning preaching for the second time. My prayer is for God to anoint this message. We met Friday morning with about 60, 70 men that prayed for God to anoint Trevor's message, this message here as we continue the sermon series on Resurrect Me. We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand who we are. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand who we are. And during this uh, Lenten journey, which is the 40 days leading up to Easter, we're praying for uh, preparation, a time of self-awareness. That's a popular word today, self-awareness. What does that mean? It means the capacity to be honest, to be honest and sincere about our strengths and also our weaknesses, our tendencies and our inclinations, why we make the choices we make, why we make the same mistakes over and over, self-awareness. Last week in a great message that Trevor and Faye preached uh, on anger, Nick gave us a good word. God will not heal who we're pretending to be. So we're trying to become uh, transparent before God. No pretenses coming clean with God. There's all kinds of great tools to help us become more self-aware. Uh, there's books you can read. Uh, there's things you can do to discern uh, what you struggle with and why you struggle with what you struggle with. Well, Lynn and I were, we just celebrated our 40th anniversary last December, on December the 18th. And it was in the first year of our marriage, uh, we got off to a great start, and then we began to kind of struggle a little bit in our marriage. And, uh, and you know, I, I was amazed that, you know, things weren't perfect, you know, you know what I mean? But they just, we struggled. Anybody here struggle a little bit in your marriage? Anybody ever struggle in your marriage, right? So we, we were in the first year, the honeymoon was kind of, you know, coming to a screeching halt, and uh, we're struggling a little bit. Of course, Linda grew up in Conway, it's, you know, sunny, warm, and we're in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, where it's cold and 50 inches of snow on the ground. And, and so she's getting a little anxious. I'm getting a little anxious. So we went to see a counselor. It's always a good thing to go see a counselor. Went to a counselor and we began to talk about our marriage and, our, and we took a Myers-Briggs profile because the counselor said, you all need to understand better, more self-awareness of who you are. And so we took this uh, Myers-Briggs. Anybody ever take a Myers-Briggs? Myers-Briggs people in the room? Okay, took the Myers-Briggs 40, 39 years ago. And never forget, we go back. He says, I got good news and bad news. Let me get the bad news first, okay? Bad news is you guys are total opposites. You, you're, you're opposite in every way possible. And you got all the dynamite you need to blow this relationship to smithereens, right? Okay, that's not very, not very promising. And then he said these words, he said, but you've got everything you need in this relationship to be incredible. If you can learn your differences and learn how you handle things and why you do what you do. And it really was, we still use it today. Uh, as we continue to work on having, uh, you know, a great marriage. Uh, but I'm so thankful that somebody who was a strong Christian said to us, you need to understand how you're wired. And so this, this, this sermon series is about understanding how we're wired. And, and, and while Myers-Briggs is a great tool, there's some books you can buy that are great tools. I believe the, the best way to become self-aware is through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because God is the one who made us. God is the one who knows our inner being and put us together. I love how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 13. This is from the message uh, version. 
Test yourself to make sure that you are solid in the faith. Don't drift alone taking everything for granted. You know, if you're struggling right now with anger or today I'm gonna to talk about envy and there'll be other things we're talking about, don't, don't take your struggles for granted. Give yourself, he says, regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, say it with me. Do something about it. You know, do something about it. As we journey toward Easter, do something about the things you're struggling with in your life. And as Christians, we come to faith to, to work on who we are. Now, the opposite of self-awareness is self-denial. It's refusing to face reality of who we are and why we struggle. So today, I wanna to preach to you on envy. There are two tombstones they found in a cemetery in England. They were side by side, and, and the first one said this, she died for want of things. She died for want of things. Right next to her was her husband's tombstone. It said, he died trying to give them to her. <laughs> they should have taken a Myers-Briggs, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but Jesus said it this way in Luke 12. Beware, don't always be wishing for what you don't have. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. That's envy. Father God, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word and that the words of Jesus would reveal to us how to handle the discontent we have in our lives, the resentment we carry because somebody has something that we don't have, and that you would help us to see your word as a way to live into the life that you have called us to live, made us for. Bless us now. May you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. I wanna to read to you some scripture this morning from Matthew 20. It's a long reading, it's a great parable that Jesus tells, a story that he tells. In Matthew 20, um, beginning verse one, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. That's about a dollar, a dollar for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. Say that with me. And I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, who worked basically one hour, came and each received a denarius. They received a dollar. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius, a dollar. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Though these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work 
and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Two great questions. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Envious because I am generous. So the last will be first and the first will be last. The word of God for the people of God. Now, let me give you a definition of envy. A feeling of discontent, a feeling of resentment, a desire for someone else's possession, someone else's earnings, someone else's position, someone else's popularity, or someone else's blessing. It's the ER mentality. Uh, the bigger, I need something bigger. I need something better. I need something faster. I need something that'll make me feel happier. The ER mentality is the root of envy. And we'll see in a few minutes that it leads to all kinds of problems in our life. Now let me, before I get further into envy, I wanna, I wanna point out there's a difference between admiration and envy. Admiration is appreciation for someone. It's when someone inspires us. It's when someone brings us joy. While envy is about comparison and feeling inadequate, and it usually brings us pain. Now I gotta stop for a moment and, and, and say a word about the passing of a spiritual giant that I admire immensely, Dr. Billy Graham. What a, what a giant evangelist for God. I have admired him, you can give a hand, certainly for that. As long as I've been a Christian believer, and certainly as long as I've been a minister, I've admired Billy Graham. He inspired me. He brings me joy. Um, XM Radio 145, if you haven't found that, XM 145 is playing all Billy Graham sermons. I've been listening to a bunch of sermons. I was just gonna throw my notes away and preach one of those, but, uh, but what, what a profound man of God that spoke to literally 250 million people around the world. He, uh, he uh, and through his radio, TV, and, and publications, over one billion people heard the gospel of Jesus, heard the love of God through his ministry. So let's just take a moment and pause. And one of the great, one of the great uh, titles that Billy Graham was given, he didn't ask for this title, but it was given to him. He was America's pastor. And I wonder who God is gonna raise up to be a pastor to this country, who's gonna be a spiritual leader in our country. Would you, would you say a prayer of thanksgiving for his work, his family, and then pray, God, who are you gonna raise up to be a leader, a, a spiritual leader? Let's pray. Amen. Now, I gotta tell you my Billy Graham story. Um, when I was a pastor here, just starting out in 1994, uh, in 95, I wanted to expose our church, the, the folks that were here at Mount Horeb, that there was something greater going on out there in the, in the world, in the kingdom of God. And so Billy Graham was gonna be in Charlotte at, uh, at that time called Erickson Stadium. 
And so we wanted to take a group of folks. Now, we didn't have anybody but older folks. And so we took some older folks on a bus, Greyhound bus, up to Charlotte to the Billy Graham Crusade. Now, I didn't do my homework, and I didn't realize that when I got him up there, number one, it was raining, pouring down rain when we got to Charlotte. And number two, it was youth night, right? So there were youth everywhere, all over the place. In fact, was we sat down in Erickson Stadium at that time, uh, I, I maybe think I was in an ant bed, a fire ant bed, because as I looked across that vast stadium, every aisle had students and youth running up down the aisles. So here I have got these older folks were holding umbrellas. And then Billy Graham, in his wisdom, he was in his late 60s, early 70s at that time. Uh, he, uh, he, it was youth night, so he brought in DC Talk, right? You may, you know, if you know anything about DC Talk, uh, they're really loud, and if you, you know, they, they do rap music. And I got these older people, and they're listening to DC Talk, and and uh, I look at the program, and, 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 and Michael W. Smith is singing. I say, he'll be okay. Well, he played, you know, rock and roll stuff, just like we heard here earlier. It was loud, you know? And I got these little old ladies sitting there with an umbrella, and they're raining on, and they're trying to hold their ears while they're listening to their umbrella. And anyway, I never forget, one little lady looks at me, looks down now and goes, Pastor, when's Johnny Cash singing, you know? And uh, I'm going, I don't think Johnny's on the program tonight, you know? But... Uh, Anyway, uh, it was crazy, it was chaotic, and then Dr. Graham walks out. Two things happened. One is it stopped raining, which I thought was amazing. Uh, and then secondly, he said these words, I'm gonna ask you now to find a seat. And within 10 seconds, every student who was running up and down the aisles was seated. And then he began to speak a clear message about the cross. And he used Madonna as an example of somebody in the culture that wears a cross that maybe doesn't know what it means. And talked about the meaning of the cross. And then he gave an invitation and, and literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students came to give their life to Jesus. It was a breakthrough moment for those older folks sitting there and they realized that, hey, maybe to reach young people, we might have to do church a little different. And here today, I think you're probably, uh, the result of that happened in 23 years ago. But Dr. Grant, amen? So thank you. For his ministry. You know, admiration nourishes and fills our souls while envy corrupts and corrodes our souls. And then two sides of the same coin, envy and jealousy. Jealousy clutches and smothers what it already has, while envy is always reaching and longing for what it doesn't have. Envy is never a good thing. Jealousy can be something good. Uh, in fact, the Bible describes God as a jealous God that God is jealous for you, that God is longing for you. He wants to smother you with his love. He wants you to love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. And I'm jealous for my wife. I, I want her to have God's very best. I'm jealous for my kids and for my grandkids. I'm jealous for you so that you would know God's best today. We prayed for you to come today so you would know that God loves you and God has a purpose for your life. See, jealous for is different than jealous of. Jealous of something leads to envy. I love this definition of envy from the book by Townsend Cloud on boundaries. Envy defines good as what I do not possess and hates the good it has. There are some of you here today that you don't like what you got because you're looking for something else. Envy leaves us hungry and unfulfilled. Envy makes us stuck Stuck in a world of anger, in a world of resentment, a world of discontent. Now, I believe there are three things that envy does for us. The first thing is envy distorts reality. 
It distorts our reality. It blinds us to our giftedness. When we're focused on envy and something else or someone else, we don't see who God has made us to be. It distorts who God wants you to be, your giftedness. And God doesn't make you to be like somebody else. God made you to be you, me to be me. Envy distorts. It also distracts. It distracts us from our God-given purpose. You know, it's hard to live out your mission for God when you're living somebody else's dream. You know, you, you can't be distracted from what God wants you to do, what he wants me to do. You know, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You see, if you're devoted to becoming somebody else, you'll despise who you are. And God says, no, cherish who you are. God made you to be you, and he has a purpose for your life. Envy distracts. It gets us off track. We lose our bearings. I never forget one Christmas morning here in the sanctuary. It was a Christmas morning on a Sunday. And it's back in the day when we would do children's sermon. How many of you remember those days? Children would come up front, and, and so I didn't, have, I didn't have much. It was Christmas morning. I'm, well, you don't talk about Jesus and his birth. But, so I started to be a little, have a little fun. So the kids come up to the front of the church, and they're sitting up there. And I never forget this question. In fact, somebody in the other service said, we were there that Sunday. We remember this. Remember that. So I asked this question. I said, hey, kids, what'd you all get for Christmas? It went really well until somebody said they got a pony, right? Yeah, I got a pony, you know. And then the next kid, I got a, I got a go-kart, you know. And all of a sudden, things went south really quick because the kids that didn't get a pony and the kids that didn't get a go-kart were envious, what, of the kids that got a pony and a golf cart, a go-kart. And the parents let me know about it, right? Thanks a lot, Pastor. You just ruined our Christmas because my kid is crying now because they didn't get a pony. See, evil envy distorts, envy distracts, and ultimately, ultimately envy destroys. It destroys us. James 3.16 says it this way, for wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, envy, there will be disorder and every kind of evil. Evil follows envy. And then this word from Proverbs 14.30, at heart, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Rots the bones. It rots away the strongest part of us, our bones. It rots away your joy. It rots away your peace. It rots away, rots away your purpose. And we miss out on who God intends us to be. As you think about envy, how it rots things, destroys things, where did it begin? Well, if we look at the Bible closely, envy begins in heaven. It begins when Lucifer is envious of God and wants to be like God and challenges God himself. If you know the story in the Old Testament, Lucifer is cast out of heaven. And, and, and his angels follow him out of heaven. And the next place that he shows up on the earth is in the Garden of Eden, where he goes and he tempts Eve, who had an incredible garden. 
you know, all the fruit of all the trees except for this one tree. You know, don't mess with this tree. This is God's boundaries. This is God's parameters. This is where you don't need to go. Don't go here. And what does, what does the evil one say? You know, eat, that, eat of that fruit there and you can become like God. There's something God's holding out on you. He's trying to keep this from you. Just go for it. And then sin enters creation. And ever since then, the evil one has been trying to lure us to live someone else's life, to make us believe that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And his biggest lie, God is trying to keep something from you. God doesn't want you to have fun. You know, as I talk uh, to teenagers, talk to couples who are engaged, and we talk about the issue of, of, of sexuality, sex, and, and, and the whole idea of, of being, being prom, prom, promiscuous and, and waiting until you're married to get involved with intimacy and all that. There, there's this misconception that God somehow wants to keep that from you. I love to say it this way, is that that part, the physical part of your relationship is God's wedding gift to you. He wants to give that to you in the right time, at the right place, for the right reasons. And that's a whole nother sermon. But see, we, we believe somehow in this culture that God is trying to withhold from us, trying to keep us from experiencing fun and excitement. No, God has an idea, a plan of how we really can enjoy life at the best. And God wants the best for us within his will, within his purpose. The Bible describes envy as sin, and all of us in this room have sinned. All of us in this room have struggled with envy, and the wages of this sin is death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, this is a series about resurrection. God, resurrect me, and the reality is that you and I need God's help to overcome envy, to overcome anger, to overcome the sins and the habits that derail us. And to experience resurrection, there has to be death. For Jesus, it was death on a cross. He was crucified for our sins that we might be forgiven people. So the question this morning is, how do we crucify envy? How do we kill envy? And what needs to be crucified? Let me suggest three things have to be crucified in your life or what needs to be crucified about envy. First of all, is we gotta crucify comparison. Comparison is the number one cause of envy, trying to compare ourselves with someone else. Now, I admire Billy Graham, his ministry. Uh, when I go to the Cove and, and go through the museum of Billy Graham and see all he has done, I admire. If I start comparing <laughs> my ministry to Billy Graham's ministry, I'm a failure. And that's what envy does to you. Envy wants to make you feel like a failure. But, but Billy Graham was Billy Graham, and I've got to be me. I can't envy Nick or Trevor or Pastor Faye or anyone else on our staff. I've gotta be me. I gotta be the best pastor I can be. And you gotta be the best man, the best woman, the best young person that you can be because God made you that way. And you gotta get rid of the idea of comparison. We gotta crucify comparison. And I'm supposed to be here at Mount Horeb doing what God's called me to do as long as God wants me here or to the bishop gives me a phone call, right? is I gotta be me and crucify comparison. You know, we stop comparing ourselves with others. I love what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter six, verse four. Let everyone be sure to do his very best, for then he will have personal satisfaction of work done well and won't need to compare himself with someone else. 
How much of us spend time chasing someone else's dream? How many of us spend time in social media wishing that we had that life? If I had that home, if I had that family, if I had that job, if I had that spouse, man, I would have everything I needed. Crucify comparison. Every day you and I are tempted to find contentment in comparison. If we had the right clothes, if we did the right restaurant, vacation at the right place, live in the right neighborhood, the right town, if I just had this, we gotta crucify comparison. God bless you with your unique gifts. You know, Jesus says before you can love your neighbor, you gotta love yourself. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. God made you to be you. Love who God made you to be. Now, with that said, none of us are finished yet. We're all a work in progress. We all can look at people and admire people and see them as examples. We look at Jesus as our goal. We don't compare ourselves with Jesus because then we would all be miserable, right? But we look to him as, as our goal is to become like Christ. Crucify, crucify comparison. Now that may mean you gotta spend more time with God than you gotta spend in social media. You know, I, I was proud of Aaron who's here today. Uh, I saw where Aaron posted on, on Facebook that he was giving up social media for Lent. That may be something you need to give up because it may be a place, a trap, where the evil one is causing you to have a sin of envy for the way people are living their life. Maybe you need to spend more time in prayer, more time reading scripture, just to determine who God is calling you to be. You may have to distance yourself from certain people because when you're around those people, you try to become like them instead of living into who God's called you to be. Number two is crucify complaining. Crucify complaining. See, in the, in the parable that Jesus told, the problem came when the workers compared themselves to the other workers. Compared that, hey, I got here at 6 a.m., they got here at five o'clock, comparison. And then they started complaining. They started murmuring about what they didn't have or what they weren't going to get. Complaining, complaining. You know, how many of us uh, complain while we compliment? Anybody here do that? You know, I really like them, but, they usually have a big but there, right? You know, I, I, you, know, they, 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 you know, they have a really nice place, but, you know, or, or they're a really good speaker, but, you know, we, we, we can't compliment because we have a spirit of complaining. And a spirit of complaining is a spirit of envy deep inside of us. Crucify comparison, crucify complaining. And how about this one? Crucify entitlement, entitlement. Boy, that is, that is a, a, a challenging thing in our world today, entitlement. Th these workers worked a full day, believed they were owed more than those who worked less hours. They felt entitled. Entitlement is when we believe the world owes us something and we, and we live, therefore, unfulfilled, unhappy, frustrated, ungrateful lives. And there may be somebody here today that believes God owes you something. Entitlement. The owner, I love what the scripture says. He says, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. Whatever is right. You see, God is more concerned with being right than being fair. This is not a parable about fairness. 
It's a parable about being right. And God is more concerned about being right than being fair. In fact, I don't think anybody in this room wants God to be fair because we would all be in jeopardy if God was just fair. But God in scripture does what is right. In fact, many times God does something even more righteous than right. And all of us are here because of the grace of God, because God is a gracious God. God is a merciful God and God does it, gets it right. I'll pay you what is right. You know, I don't know why Jesus told the parable this way. I'm not sure why um, somebody who worked at, at, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. got paid the same thing as someone who started work at five o'clock. But maybe the owner of the vineyard went back down to the marketplace and saw some workers whose families were starving to death and they needed some additional income. And so he hired them on the spot knowing that that dollar might save their family. You see, again, the question, I love, I love the question, uh, are you envious because I am generous? Are you? Are you envious because of God's generosity to someone else? Are you being destroyed because envy's eating your heart out? And you wonder, why not me? Why not me? I, I've worked in your vineyard, God, all the time. I'm faithful all the time. Why not me? Why not me? Now, how do we crucify envy? How do we crucify entitlement? How do we crucify complaining? Let me just say, I can't do it, and you can't do it. It's impossible for you and I to crucify those things. It's impossible for you and I to defeat those things. That's why I love this verse. It's our theme verse for the series, Galatians 2.20. One of the first verses that I memorized. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the things that Dr. Graham taught preachers, he said, never preach a sermon without talking about the cross because the cross is where it all happens. Today, we can crucify envy. We can crucify entitlement because Christ Jesus put those things to death on the cross. He died for envy. He died for anger. He died for entitlement. And when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, Whenever you are resurrected with Christ, whenever you're crucified and resurrected with Christ, you could have new power. See, I can do all things through Christ who lives in me. Seek first the kingdom of God and all things shall be added unto you. You know, Jesus Christ today wants to transform your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think this is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament, Galatians 2.20, that Jesus Christ lives in me, that Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit lives in you, that right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have within you the heart of Jesus beating. The heart of Jesus is beating. And when you say, God, help me overcome envy, help me overcome anger, I wanna live like Christ lives, that's already within you. Now, the key is we've gotta submit to that power. We've got to submit to his presence. We've got to trust that he knows what's best for each of us. So how does God resurrect me through Jesus Christ? How, how am I different? Let me give you three things in closing. 
Whenever we invite Christ into our life, he's crucified with us. He begins to live in us and live through us. Number one is celebrate God's generosity to others. You start celebrating God's generosity to others. Instead of resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring your own goodness, you start celebrating what God gives other people. Can you do that today? Can you celebrate how God has blessed someone else instead of complaining about what God has not given you? The Bible tells us to weep when people weep and rejoice when people rejoice. You know, we got the weeping part down, but we struggle rejoicing for other people, just rejoicing for what God's doing, rejoicing for their blessings without a big but. Yeah, I'm happy for them, but just rejoice in other people's blessings. And number two, have confidence that God is enough, that God is enough, that God is enough. You know, the antidote for envy is simply enough, that God is enough for me. Again, if I seek his kingdom, he'll meet my needs. I love what Brene Brown says, the opposite of scarcity is not more, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. The reality is there are people in our world that don't have enough. And you and I are called to live with what we got so that they can have enough. That with Christ, I have enough. He's what I need in my life. You know, as I think about this passage, and there's so much to teach on this passage from Matthew 20, and it's, and it's a parable. What is the wage, the denarius, the dollar that Jesus is talking about? You know what it is? I believe it's eternal life. That God wants to give everyone the same gift. And that gift is eternal life. It doesn't matter whether you started early in your life working for God and his kingdom or you started late in your life. It doesn't matter whether you leave the planet early or you get here to stay here for 100 years. 99, like Dr. Graham. But Dr. Graham spent his life inviting people into eternity. That's the gift that God wants to give you, the gift of eternal life. It's free. It's a free gift to receive into your life because he is enough. Everyone in this room has, is thirsty for something. Everyone in this room is thirsty. We have an eternal thirst that can only be quenched by an eternal God. So our world today is filled with a bunch of noise, a bunch of voices. Voices, whether it's on social media or every time you turn the TV on, voices that say enough is not enough. What voice are you listening to? The voice that says you're not good enough? The voice that says you don't have enough? God wants to tell you that you have enough when you have him in your life and that through Christ, you can do all things. You know, without Christ in our life, we are no match for the voices of the world. You know, one of the great truths of this parable is that God never stops inviting. Whether it's 6 a.m., 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, God never stops inviting. And today, God's still inviting. He's inviting you to come home to him. He's inviting you to invite Christ into your life 
the savior of the world, to meet that emptiness, that nagging emptiness that you think this or that will meet. It won't. You know, Pasquale said that in all of us, there's a God-shaped vacuum. There's an emptiness in all of us. And only God, through Jesus Christ, can fill that emptiness and take away that nagging you have right now that enough is not enough. Let me pray with you. Would you bow your heads? Father God, we confess to you that sometimes we're envious of what somebody else has. We're longing for what we don't have, thinking that that, this, whatever it is, will give us meaning, give us purpose. Father God, we confess to you that that we need you in our lives. That Jesus Christ came and died on a cross to crucify the things we struggle with. And Lord God, as we feel right now a need, a, a calling to invite you into our lives, that we would do so. That all across this room, all across this campus, people would invite Jesus, your son, to come into their life, to wash away their sins, to give them new life, to give them new purpose, and that people in this room would find their God-given purpose and live their God-given dream and help others who don't have enough to find enough through you. Lord, do this work now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.